0: Have you ever been used by somebody? Have you, ever th- have you ever been used? Like somebody came to you and they wanted you because of what you could do for them, because of what you offered for them, because of the connections you had. But they didn't really want you for you. They didn't really want to have a relationship. They just wanted what you could do for them. Now there's this old preacher story about this, this young man. And this young man was dating this beautiful girl. She was amazing. He was enthralled with her. And he's like, man, I can't imagine life without her. And so what does he do? He goes and he buys one of those big diamond rings, you know, with one of the big carrots on it. Like, I, like who decided to grade a diamond on a carrot? Like, was it like an Easter bunny carrot or like a horse carrot? Like, it's just this big rock, Right. He buys this big rock for this girl. He gathers the family and friends around. He gets to a knee and he gives the girl the ring and says, will you be mine forever? And she says, yes. And the whole night she goes and she's sharing everybody the ring. She's showing it off. She's bragging about it. You've got to see this ring. And the weeks, come, the weeks that come after that, she's showing everybody the ring. So excited about it. In the meantime, though, she kind of forgets about the fiance. She stops answering his phone calls. She's not holding his hand. She's not looking him in the eye. And it kind of feels like she forgets about the fiance because she's just thrilled with the diamond. The fiance, the guy, the guy that was so in love, he's kind of like, this wasn't my intent. My intent was never about the ring. It was about having a life with you. And of course, the fiance is saying, well, I wanted her to love the ring. I wanted her to be excited about it, to enjoy it, to be thankful for it. But what I really wanted was I wanted her to be excited about a life with me more than the ring. How many of us have been that guy with the ring where it feels like, man, you don't want me for me. You just want what I can do for you. You want the gifts I bring. You want the connections I have, the resources, or whatever it happens to be. Now, how many of us have treated other people in the same way? I mean, we hate that feeling when somebody uses us, but how many of us have ever used somebody else? And I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of that. In, 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 in high school, my freshman year, uh, my, my, my buddy group was me, A guy named Landon, who I'd grown up with. Another guy named Brian, who I met in Japanese class. Why I took Japanese in high school, I have no clue. I don't remember a thing, but I did take Japanese class. And Brian was my buddy that we we made freshman year. And the three of us, we were determined to be cool freshmen. I don't know what makes a freshman cool, but we were determined. We're going to be cool in school. And so the problem was, as, as our social lives, as we start thinking about our social life, our social life didn't quite acclimate with our parents' schedules, meaning our parents didn't want to run us around every weekend as to all the things we wanted to do. And parents with teenagers right now, you're like, amen to that, right? Well, that's where we are. Well, we're like, man, we want to be cool. We want to go and do all this stuff, but our parents don't want to run us around. So what do we do? is what we did. We found a kid with a car. There was a kid in our church named Andrew, and he was a couple years older than, older than us, and we weren't super close to him, but he had a car, and when I say car, I use that in a very loose term, because by car, I mean it was a Ford Festiva, okay? This is, this is like a golf cart uh, with, with, with a door on it, right? Like, like, like you could top out at 37 miles an hour downhill, like that was as fast as that thing would go, but it was four wheels, and it would get us where we want to go. So what would happen is it would come Friday night, and we'd be like, what do we want to do tonight? We want to go to McDonald's, because that's what teenagers do in Yakima. You go to McDonald's and get sundays and french fries. Or we'd say, let's go to a football game, or let's go to Meadowbrook, or whatever it was. We said, what do we want to do? Oh, we want to go here. How are we going to get there? Call Andrew. Hey, Andrew, you want to go hang out with us tonight? We're going to go to this place. And Andrew's like, sure, I'm in. Now, Andrew... Andrew is a little different than us. Like, we were trying to be cool. Uh, Andrew wasn't quite into the school see- scene. It just wasn't his thing. He was a little bit of a grunge guy, a little bit of a loner. And so he didn't quite fit in with our friend group, but he had a car. So my friends, man, they thought Andrew was amazing because he had this car. And the other thing about Andrew, he never made us pay for gas, which was also really cool. And so, like, now, I'll be honest, like, this went on for a little while, and I started feeling Guilty. I started feeling guilty because what would happen is on a weekend that we weren't going to go out, we'd go to my house and play video games or do whatever we were going to do. Andrew would call us and be like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You guys want to hang out? And we'd be like, "Uh, sorry, we're busy. We can't. And I started feeling guilty about this because here I am like, like we like that Andrew can drive. We like that he has a car, but didn't really value his friendship. Now, I know some of you are judging me right now, and I'll tell you what, I have so much guilt over what happened. Like this week, I have felt so bad over what I did in high school. It's terrible. Terrible thinking about some of the dumb things you did when you were young. But how many of us have ever been treated like that? Or treated someone else like that? Where we only like them because of what they could do for us, because of the value they bring. Now, what about God, though? How many of us have come to God because we want something from him? How many of us come to God because we're in trouble? We've made a mess of our lives and we're like, what are we going to do? Maybe God can bail us out of this situation. Maybe God can fix what's gone wrong. Maybe God can bless my marriage. Maybe God can bless my family. And without realizing it, it's almost like we come to church or we come to God because we want something from him. We want what he can do for us. Not necessarily wanting him for him. We're in this series on the book of Acts, where we're trying to look and say, see how the early church became uh, not just an institution, a place where you come for religious services and you come and get filled, but how the church became a movement that impacted the world around them. And that's our desire for Restoration Church, is that we wouldn't just be an institution where people come for religious services, but that we as a church, as a people, all of us in this room, would become part of this movement that changes our city. Man, we want to see that. So that's why we're looking in the book of Acts to see how that early church became a movement. Last week, we started in Acts chapter 3 where we saw the first of 14 miracles of healing that we're going to see in the book of Acts. Remember the story where there was that that disabled man, that lame man, who every day was in front of the temple. He's at the front door to the church asking for alms. That's a pretty good place to ask for alms, to be a beggar, right? The front of the church. Every day he's there and Peter and John come in and Peter and John had that famous line where they say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I do, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The man does. The man is healed instantly. He, he stands up and he's walking and leaping and praising God. He goes in the temple and all the people see him. All the people are like, wait, that's the guy. That's the guy that's been in front of the church, begging for years. And now he's on his feet, walking and leaping, and praising God. What is going on? They see the power of this in this man's life. And they thought, man, obviously something happened. And the people in the temple, they are drawn to that. They're drawn to the miracle. They're drawn to Peter and John saying, Peter and John, what did you do for that guy? Could you do that for me? Like maybe, maybe, maybe we're not disabled, but maybe we've got a financial problem. We've got a problem in our marriage. We've got a business problem. And they're like, hey, Peter and John, maybe you could do that for for us. Now, Sometimes we think about that idea of, of us coming to God because of what he can do for us, and we think that sounds arrogant. Well, it's actually a pretty valid thing. I think about how many of us in this room, how many of us came to church for the very first time? How many, how many of us came to God because we were in a bind and we needed him to do something for us? We came to God looking for an answer to our problem. I'll be honest, the first time I came to church, a Christian church, is for a girl, <laughs> This is what brought me to church. Fortunately, I got Jesus as well, and that worked out well for me. But let's just be honest. How many of us came to church or came to God because we had a problem in our life that we needed help on? These are called felt needs. These are things when we're going through life and we're struggling with something. We're struggling with our health. We're struggling with our marriage. We're struggling with debt. We're struggling with an addiction. We're struggling with depression. We have these felt needs. And we look to God, and we say, man, God, God, he's powerful. God is a healer. God gives peace. God cures anxiety. God fixes marriages. God does miracles. And we think, I need some of that. I need some of that God in my life to deal with this problem I am dealing with. And Peter looks out to this crowd, and he sees them wanting something from God. Like, that's not bad. But the question is, do they actually want God himself? Do they just want what God can do for them, or do they actually want a relationship with God? And so Peter's going to look at this crowd, and he's going to preach a message to them about repentance and forgiveness of sin is actually what leads to God's blessing and God's refreshing. So our text today, if you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 11. The words would be on the screen today, but we're having some projector issues, so uh, you'll just have to put up with us today. He starts in verse 11 and says, there's a a crowd that is gathered around Peter and John. And Peter's looking at the crowd and he's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, right? Because Peter and John, God used them to, to heal this man. And the people are looking at Peter and John like, man, this guy's healed because of Peter and John. They think, Peter and John, you're something special. Peter and John, you did this amazing thing for this disabled man. What can you do for us? Thinking like Peter and John are like, like magic men that have this special, uh, a special power. Peter's afraid they're going to start doing this, this hero worship, like ah, thinking that we're the solution when we're not. And so verse 12, it says, Peter addresses a crowd and he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power and godliness this man was healed. No, he says, don't don't, don't look at us. He says, verse 16, by faith in his name, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man was made strong. Peter says, hold up. Hold up. Before you think we did anything special here, you need to know it wasn't about us. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about John. This was all about God. Don't look to us. Look to God. God's the one that did this miracle. In fact, I would say this, This is a mark of a godly leader. Godly leaders are not people who draw attention to themselves, who tell how great they are, all the things that they've done. Godly leaders are people who continue to recognize that the glory belongs to God and God alone. And that's what Peter models for us. Hey, this miracle has nothing to do with me and John. It's all about God. And again, he's looking at this crowd who have all sorts of problems, all sorts of of issues they're struggling with. And they're looking to God to meet some of those needs, to fix those problems, to bring healing and peace and abundant life. And I imagine Peter's up there and he's like, my heart's beginning to break for these people because they have these felt needs that are important to them. And don't get me wrong, these things are important. They're significant. They're heavy burdens on us. But Peter's like, that's not God's main thing. God's main concern is not just fixing the problems in your life. God's concern is much bigger than that. And so what Peter does is he opens up the scriptures and he preaches this this message that identifies what our root problem is, what 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 the core issue is. And then he's going to tell God's remedy to that core issue, that core problem. And then he's going to share that the blessing and the refreshing that we long for is a byproduct of what God has done for us. So first thing, he's going to identify what is our root issue? What is our primary need in life? He says in verse 13, he's going to answer that question. He says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, they glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up. Did you hear his accusation? He said, they delivered up Jesus, whom you delivered up, whom you delivered up. God glorified Jesus, but you, the people listening, you delivered him up to be crucified. Then he continues, he says, you delivered him up and you, verse 13, you denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate decided to release him. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to be released to you. And then verse 15, he says, you killed the author of life. Do you hear these accusations? You did this. You denied him. You delivered him up. You killed the author of life. In fact, he says this. He says, Pilate, Pilate was a pagan ruler. Pilate was a guy who didn't know God, who didn't understand the scriptures. He didn't know about the God of the Bible. And Pilate was convinced that Jesus was innocent. Pilate was convinced Jesus has done nothing wrong. I'm going to release this man. And Peter says, wait a second. Pilate who doesn't know God? said, Jesus is innocent, but you, the people of God, the people who should have known, you denied him. When Peter wanted to release Barabbas, who was a murderer, no, you said, release us a murderer. We want Jesus to be crucified. And so Peter's saying, listen, you people, you have denied the giver of life. You have delivered Jesus up to be crucified. It says in verse 15, I, he said, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, which we, which is Peter and John in the early church, which we are witnesses of. Again, one of the things that we'll see repeatedly throughout the book of Acts is we're going to see this reference that we are witnesses of this. I mean, Jesus told the early church in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will be my what? You'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses of who I am and what I've done to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so you're going to see this again and again and again where the people of God, his, his, his sons and daughters, the Christians become witnesses of these things, which is important. Because Christianity is not a religion about a bunch of ideas. Christianity is not a bunch of sentimental hopes, things that we hope are going to happen. Christianity is not a bunch of, of, of wise sayings. No, Christianity, our faith, it rests on an event. It rests on the resurrection that has been verified and testified to witnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus, who've been changed because of that resurrection. So it's important that we understand these guys are witnesses of this. This is true and real and something that we can can know is valid. And so here's Peter's sermon he's in front of the crowd. And he's pointing out to the people, he says, you are guilty. He says, your root issue, your root issue is not one of these felt needs. Your issue is not God to fix some problem in your life or to fix your marriage or or to heal you of an addiction or, or to address your money problems. No, your root issue is that all of us are guilty of rejecting God. That's what he said. You're guilty of denying the holy and righteous one. You're guilty of rejecting God's servant. You are guilty of condemning the author of life to death on a cross. Our root issue is that we have rejected God. And I know we hear this and we're like, how's that true? Like, I wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. I wasn't in the crowd yelling crucify him. I didn't take the nail and hit the, no, I didn't hit the hammer and take the nail into his hands. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. But Peter says, no, listen, all of us, all of us have rejected God. We have chosen to worship ourselves rather than worship God. We've chosen to listen to other people rather than to listen to God. We've denied the Holy Spirit and his guidance and his direction and his call in our life. All of us are guilty of the death of Jesus. Scripture says this clearly. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, uh, Jesus bore our sins on his body on that tree. Second Corinthians 5 says, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. See, so often we look at sin and we think sin is these specific things we do. I lied, I cheated, I stole, I said a bad word, whatever those things are. But in a general sense, sin is, is rejecting God. And all of us are guilty of, of rejecting God. And so Peter tells his crowd, Hey, your core issue is not your addiction, your marriage problems, your money problems, your anger problems. Your core issue is that you are guilty of rejecting God. But fortunately, Peter's going to give him some good news. And the good news is God addresses our guilt. He says in verse 16, In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Faith through Jesus has given this man perfect health. They see this this man that was handicapped. They see this disabled man. They're like, wait a second. This guy was, was disabled on the front steps of the church. We saw him. And now he is walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter says, though this guy was handicapped and though he was suffering, he was just as guilty as every one of us in this room. He was just as guilty of rejecting God. Yet Peter says, Look at him now. Here he stands in perfect health, restored and made whole by the power of God. And Peter says he was made whole not because of Peter's power and strength. This man was made whole not because he got religion. This man was made, uh, uh, this man was made, uh, was brought healing not because he jumped through a bunch of hoops, not because he cleaned up his life, not because he was trying harder, not because he, he did a bunch of things for God, not because he started going to church. No, Peter says this man was made whole by faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. Look what he says in verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as your rulers did. Almost like Peter saying, hey, 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 you're guilty before God, but I know it was out of ignorance. And I I wrote in my Bible, I wrote uh, Luke 23, 34. You might want to, if you're one of those people that likes to write in your Bible, write that Luke 23, 24, because when I think about Peter saying, you acted in ignorance. Maybe he's thinking about what Jesus said to those soldiers who hung on the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, I think Peter is not trying to excuse our sin or justify our rejection of God. I think Peter recognizes that we're just, we're blind. We're kind of dumb. We don't understand what we're doing. It's kind of like we're blundering around in the darkness, blindly coming up with our own plans. We are are ignorant. We just haven't recognized who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He says, listen, you're, you're ignorant like your leaders were. Verse 18, But God foretold through the prophets that this Christ must suffer and be fulfilled. Therefore, therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter says, hey, I recognize what you did did was out of ignorance. You just didn't know what you were doing. You didn't understand who Jesus was. But listen, Scripture still said that Jesus was going to suffer for you. And because of that, Here's the answer to your guilt. The answer to your your guilt of rejecting God is that you've got to believe that Jesus suffered in your place. So that by repentance, by turning away from your sin, and by putting your faith in Jesus, he says, you can be forgiven. Your sins will be blotted out. Your sins won't be held against you anymore. That rejection of God, God's not going to hold it against you anymore because of what Jesus has done for you. Let me tell the story in a different way, all right? Let's just imagine. Imagine you fell off a roof. (laughs) Some of you are like, I would never be on a roof. I've done it more than once, all right? Anyone else? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Like, imagine you fell off a roof, okay? And your arm is busted and bent the wrong way, and and you got some scratches on your face, and it's bleeding. And you go into the ER. You go to the ER, and you're like, doctor, doctor, my arm's broken. My arm's broken. And a good doctor is going to look, and, and there's a couple doctors. There's a doctor in here. I saw her somewhere in here today. Ha! Your arm's all bent backwards and your face is bleeding. You're like, hey, I need this fixed. And the doctor looks at you, and the doctor's trying to figure out yep, I see your arm is broken. But there's some bigger issues going on. You've got some internal bleeding, you've got something wrong with your heart. And you're like, doctor, my arm, it hurts. My arm, it looks weird, my face. And the doctor's like, yes, yes, I understand this. But before I deal with that, I got to deal with your heart. Because if I don't fix your heart, you're not going to die from a broken arm. But you will die if I don't get your heart fixed. Right? It's called triage. You got to deal with what's most important. See, this this is like God. We come to him and we're like, God, my marriage is falling apart. God, I'm struggling with addiction. God, I'm broke. Those things are important to us. They're painful. And God's concerned about them. God is totally concerned about it. But God's greater concern is the bigger issue, the deeper issue. The deeper issue issue is that our our hearts have rejected him. We've got this sin that separated us from him. And that's what makes us guilty. And, And so God is looking and saying, hey, I'm going to to fix your stuff. But before I get to those other things, first and foremost, I got to deal with this guilt problem. I got to deal with a sin problem because that is where real healing is going to be found. It doesn't matter if I fix the outward things. I got to deal with, with the inward things first and foremost. And Peter looks at the crowd and says, I know you've got all these needs and they're heavy and they're a burden. But listen, you are guilty before God you have rejected him and you continue to reject him. But God's grace is this, that he sent Jesus to the cross in your place and through repentance, through turning from your ignorance, through living for him, through pursuing a relationship with him, through that repentance and through faith in him, not in faith in yourself, not faith in religion, not faith in anything else, through faith in him repentance and faith, you can be forgiven. You can have that guilt removed. And guess what happens after that? When we get our, our, our sin squared away, when we get our heart dealt with, that is when we get to experience God's blessing and God's refreshing. I mean, this is what it says, 19, verse 19 and 20. He says, repent that your sins might be blotted out. And see this word in verse 20, so that so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we get our sin dealt with, when you repent and put your faith in him, so that you may experience those times of refreshing. That refreshing, times of refreshing, simply means that there's periods of God's blessing. Periods of life when you experience the power of God. You experience relative of peace. You experience God's joy. God's peace, God's healing, God's contentment, God's satisfaction. It is when we come into that, when we place our faith in him, when we repent and we come to this relationship with him, once we get that squared away, we get our heart right with him, then we get to experience the abundant life that God has offered us and promised us. And notice in verse 20, it says there'll be times of refreshing. See, God is a, is a good father. And any good father knows you can't always give your kids what they want, right? Kids come up with these outrageous demands. God, I, dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. And as a good parent, you can't give your kids everything they want. You can't solve every problem your kid faces. You know, our kids become stronger and wiser as they go through some stuff and have to figure it out. But as a good father, we don't make them go through it alone. And so Peter says, hey, when you repent and put your faith in Jesus, you'll experience those times of refreshing, times where we have the power of God bringing healing and fixing those problems. But you also have those times when you're going through some hard stuff. You're like, man, this is hard. But you don't have to go through it alone. Because you have God, your Father, walking through it with you. That promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And how much is that? even a greater miracle in our life, to know that whatever it is we're going through, man, he's right there walking through it with us. Once we get our our sin squared away, our heart right with God, we experience these times of refreshing through his his blessing. It's culminated in the ultimate return of Jesus. said in verse 20, that heaven would receive him at the restoration of all things. You see, this is the ultimate promise for us. Because there's coming a day when Christ returns. Well, he will fix all that has gone wrong. Satan and sin and death and hell. They will finally lose all power in this world. We have that promise from Scripture. We have that promise that he will restore all things. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more toil, no more trouble. No more death, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more addiction, no more heartache, no more fighting, no more wars, no more bankruptcy, no more depression. See, that's why we look forward to the second coming of Christ, when Christ comes to to fix everything that's gone wrong. And so we have these two promises. We have this first promise that when we get our heart right with God, we pursue a relationship with Him, that we'll have these times of refreshing. We'll have these times where God does show up, and He does bring healing. He does fix what's gone wrong with us. But you also get to look forward to that time when he's going to come and fix all things once and for all. That's when we get to heaven, when there is no more suffering. There is that peace that passes all understanding. And Peter concludes his message to these people, and he says, listen, you have the word of God. You have the prophets of old. You've got the whole scriptures in front of you. And the scriptures are urging you to do one thing. And that is to believe in Jesus. Have faith in him. Repent of your sins. And that is when you experience God's blessing. In fact, here's our summary for this message. It's repentance and faith in Jesus that lead first to forgiveness of sin. That's our primary thing that we need. That's our, our, our core issue is we need to experience forgiveness for our sin. And secondly, beyond that, That's when we experience God's blessing. Repentance and faith lead us to a right relationship with God. And that byproduct of a right relationship with God is His blessing. So let me just ask that question this morning What is it that draws you to God? Are you focused on His gifts, His power? His blessing? You focus on what he can do for you? Or are you focused on him? him? Are you focused on the gifts or the giver of the gifts? Don't get me wrong. There's no judgment for you if you're here today because you're looking and say, God, I need a miracle. God, I need your power. I need you to do something here. Again, many of us have been drawn to God because of his power and his healing. I was drawn to God because of a girl. And those things are important. Those things are heavy on us. But if God's purpose is only to to make our lives better, if his purpose is only to, to bring miracles and to give us gifts, then we end up with a very warped view of God and a warped view of faith. Because if God is only valuable to us because he's a solution to our personal problems, then it's nearly impossible for us to continue to live a life of faith and obedience when we don't see an immediate solution to the problems that we have, right? If God's only valuable to us because he can solve problems in our lives and make our lives a little bit easier right now, it's going to be impossible for us to remain faithful to him when we don't see an immediate solution to all the problems that we face. Because God, I don't see you at work right now. God, you're not fixing this thing into my life right now. God, I still have this hard thing I'm going through. God, where are you? God, you must not be real. God, you must not be good. And so we, we, we abandon God because he's not showing up in the ways that we think he should. Now contrast that where we're focusing on God and what he can do for us. Contrast that with coming to God simply to have a relationship with him. To experience his salvation, his forgiveness of sin. When we generally want to have a relationship with him just to to know him. That means our our faith isn't dependent on our circumstances. Our faith isn't dependent on God making my life easier and fixing these problems. And guess what happens when our faith is real like that? That's when we can remain faithful to God through the thick and the thin. Because our priority is a relationship with him and not just the, the things he can do in our life. Through the key for us in faith it is to focus on our relationship with the giver, to focus on our relationship with God and not just his blessings. We gotta be people that focus on the relationship with him and not just the gifts that he can give to us. Listen, are you coming to church because you want God's blessing? Are you coming to church because you want God's freedom from some sort of addiction? You want God to heal your marriage? Are you reading scripture because you're looking for secrets on how to live life? Are you praying to God and your prayers are simply a list of all the things you need God to do for you? God, I need this and this and this and this. Or are you actually coming to church because you want to know God deeper? You want to worship him because he is the creator of all things. Are you reading scripture to know the secrets of life or you're reading scripture because you're saying, hey, I want to know who you are, God. I want to know about who you are and the way you operate and I want to know you. Are you praying because you have a relationship with him where you're just having this conversation, God, here's where I'm at. I know you're good. But God, I'm going to put my faith in you. Again, there's a, there's a difference in how we approach God if we simply want things from him versus if we want a relationship with him. And here's the best thing, because when we focus on having that relationship with him, we focus on the giver and not just the gift. That's when it leads to those times of refreshing. refreshing. The byproduct, the byproduct of having a genuine, genuine faith and relationship with God is you, get, is you begin to experience his blessing all around you. You begin to experience his healing in your marriage. You begin to experience his power in your relationships. You begin to experience his blessing in these different areas of your life. One more story to explain this to you. Five years ago, six years ago, I don't know, a couple years, several years ago, I had my blood drawn for the very first time. I had to have that done before. I I, I don't like needles, it's gross. Uh, But I had my blood drawn. And uh, the doctor gets the results, and he's like, hey, Kevin, your triglycerides now. Triglycerides, uh, cholesterol, I don't know a lot about it. I think triglycerides are the ones that don't matter. At least that's what I told my wife. She didn't, she didn't believe me. But doctor says, hey, triglycerides are supposed to be in a range like 150 is max. Like, like a healthy person, 100, anything higher than 150 is bad. He said, Kevin, your triglycerides are 355. And I'm like, What? That's like, he's like, Kevin, you're not even on the chart. You're off the, you're on the next sheet of paper. It it is so high. And he's like, maybe we should talk about your life. And I'm like, I don't really know about my, I don't feel like I have a bad lifestyle. I feel like I eat pretty good and I'm pretty healthy. He said, well, what's your family background? And I'm like, I don't know. I was adopted. And he goes, oh, that's it. He said, sometimes cholesterol can be high based on your family background. It could be genetic. Genetic. So what we're going to do is, is we're gonna just going to keep an eye on your cholesterol for the next couple of years and kind of see where you are. Maybe this is just a genetic, genetic thing. So I had blood drawn a couple other times. And every time I've had my blood drawn, I'm always in like the, the well into the 200s, you know, like 250. And he's like, well, you still have high cholesterol. And I'm like, no, I don't. And he's like, yes, you do. Because I didn't want to change how I eat. I, I, like, I know some of you are into kale and that sort of stuff. Like, I like red meat. Like, like more power to your kale people. But give me, give, give me, give me, give me some red meat, right? Well, so, <laughs> don't judge me. Cholesterol is a big deal. If your cholesterol is wrong, you should go to get checked out. But I was like, I don't really feel like I need to do anything major here. Well, this past year, six months ago, eight months ago, last summer, uh, man, I'm going through just some, some personal stuff, and I'm like, I got to prioritize my mental health. You know, kind of going through a hard season where maybe some depression and some, some difficult stuff going on, and, and I'm like, I got to prioritize my mental health. And so one of the things I started doing is I started focusing on my health, and I started working out. I started walking all over the place. I know Fred and Molly have seen me walking all over town. People have seen me do that. I, I started running. My wife got me into doing this strength training, so I'm trying to, you know, lift weights and do some different stuff, and and it's been really good for me. I do this like four or five days a week, and, and I found it to be really good for my mental health. And I feel like, like, like just in that regard, I feel like I'm doing really good. Well, I'll tell you what. I had my blood drawn here a week and a half ago, and uh, triglycerides came in. <laughs> my triglycerides were 111. They haven't been that low since I was a toddler. Like, it was crazy. It was, it was stupid Crazy. Listen, (laughs) my point is not to brag about my cholesterol being down. My point is, a a lower cholesterol was a byproduct of me focusing on my health in general. Listen, do you understand that's how faith works? When we live for God and just pursue a relationship with him, not just what God can do for us, not needing God to fix these things, not when we just pursue a relationship with him. And live a life dedicated towards Him and prioritize a relationship with Him. The byproduct of that is it leads to His refreshing. It leads to His blessing. It leads to that abundant life simply as a byproduct of having a relationship with Him. Eugene Peterson is a pastor. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with him and He talks about faith and he talks about the success of of being a pastor. And there are some pastors and some churches and they plant and they they have a church and, and all of a sudden it just blows up really big, really exciting, really quick. And you're like, that's awesome. Those things are far and few between. He said, you know what success is as a pastor? It's a long road in the same direction. And that's where you continue to see God's blessing time and time and time again. And to some degree that's what the Christian life is that's what a relationship with God is it's a long road in the same direction and guess what when you stay on that road you see God pour out his blessing time and time again you see his healing you see all these things along that road I think that's the point of Peter's message here and many of us are here today and we've got burdens kids that have walked away from God marriages that a struggle. Addiction that weighs us down. Financial problems that are such a burden for us. Listen, God cares about those things. Don't get me wrong. But I'll tell you what, first and foremost, what God wants from you is your heart. He wants you to pursue a relationship with him. And guess what? As you walk with him, as you pursue that relationship with him, you're gonna see God continue to bless, step in and heal, step in and guide, to step in and bring bring. bring that abundance and that refreshing that we long for. It comes as we walk with Him day after day. And even when things get hard, when we're walking with Him in the same direction, we know He's with us. As we're as people of God, we've got to focus not just on the gift, not on just what God can do for us, but focus on our relationship with Him. Let me just pray for you.